The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary. I'm Arlia Hoffman. And today I am just beyond thrilled to offer what I'm calling a grief roundtable. I have four extraordinary women with me who have had their own experiences with grief and are also, you know, aware that it impacts every area of our lives and have incorporated it into the work they do professionally. So this is a grief roundtable, and we're going to hopefully dive deep into some of the issues around it, Um, maybe the, the ways the culture does or does not support its process, and how we cope with it in the real world, given all of that. If you are fresh in grief, and even saying those words can make me a little, <laughs> a little teary-eyed because you know it's for some of us it's it can be just easily accessible. If you're fresh in grief, please take good care of yourself. Um, this episode could be difficult, but it also can be very supportive and helpful. Um, my goal here is that, and my prayer is that anybody struggling with grief, fresh or old, or all of that at once, not feel alone. Uh, that you feel supported, and that you know there are resources, there are helpers out in the world for however it impacts your life. The enormity of early grief brings an overwhelming number of things to your life, bidden or unbidden, mostly unbidden. And um, so hopefully in that overwhelming state, you will feel held, supported, and come away with some information. Okay, so I'm going to introduce my esteemed guests and women today. Starting from my visual left is Ginny Lee Schmidt. Ginny is an advanced grief recovery specialist from the Grief Recovery Institute. Um, She's a certified end-of-life coach and a professional certified coach. Jenny's practice focuses on providing grief recovery coaching to high-achieving, high-performing women, owners, entrepreneurs, leaders in business, community, home, women who are used to getting lots of things done and making a big impact, and who are struggling with reduced performance, as well as happiness and satisfaction due to a loss that has left them heartbroken. She teaches a process called the grief recovery method to get really clear about the loss and then help them release those emotions and get any undelivered communications off their chest. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much. This is indeed a group of esteemed guests. I'm honored to be a part of it. Thanks. So glad you're here. Susan Palace, Susan Palace Wellness. She's a health coach specializing in helping women reach their happy weight and enjoy a fulfilling relationship with food, their bodies, and themselves. As a pioneer in mind-body wellness, she blends ancient wisdom with modern science to create simple practices and an uplifting approach to serve those who struggle with excess weight, low energy, and chronic stress. Overcoming her own challenges, she encourages women to embrace their obstacles as the way to grow personally and professionally. Welcome, Susan. So glad you're here. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Amy Getz. Amy Getz, a a previous guest on this podcast, is uh, with IRC Wealth. She believes wealth and financial freedom are for everyone. She's a financial advisor and SEC-registered boutique investment firm, IRC Wealth, a CPA, and a certified divorce financial analyst. There's enough grief in in divorce, isn't there, Amy? (laughs) Absolutely. Amy's on a mission to educate individuals about their finances and empower them to set big goals for the financial future. Letting go of limiting beliefs around money and facing the real numbers allows people to quiet the stress loop in their minds and elevate everyone around them. Wealth in the hands of good people changes the world. Thank you, Amy, for being here. Absolutely. What a powerful group of women. My favorite place to be in powerful (laughs) groups of women. Yes. 
and Rachel Donnelly with Black Dress Consultants. Rachel manages the unavoidable task of after loss and legacy planning so that individuals and families can stop wondering what they should be doing and get back to the things that matter. After many experiences with loss, including the death of her parents, Rachel founded Black Dress Consultants, a consulting firm that offloads the administrative tasks that come with legacy planning and after loss so clients can focus less on the logistics and more on creating space to live worry-free and grieve peacefully. Thank you for being here, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor. So ladies, um, this challenging topic is one that we've all dealt with. If you would, please just really briefly give us a little context about your experience with loss and how that has impacted your life. And we'll go with whoever jumps in first. Amy. I'll go. So I experienced loss early in life. In fact, my brother passed away in a car accident. We were just shy of two years apart. I was 17 and he was 19. And then my father passed away five years later. Honestly, I feel like I have a broken heart over my brother. And so as that relates to me, safety, stability, financial stability was always really important because having lost my father so young, having lost my brother, I was aware of how important it financial security needed Mm. as it related to my mother and our future. So oddly enough, probably that early grief is what kind of gave me that foot in the door into focusing on financial issues. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'll share next. This is Ginny. Mm -hmm. I am one of those who had what you could call a traumatic, chaotic childhood Lots of family issues, lots of moving around between relatives, lots of loss, lots of change. And it turned me into one of these high achieving perfectionist kind of women. And I see that actually in a lot of women that I serve. You know, we we learn that we need to take control early and then we do a really great job managing the chaos in our lives and and performing really well and and building big lives. But then sometimes all that loss can come back to really crash in on us. But um, the main the main story of my loss that I share is that my grandmother actually raised me because my parents were divorced and my mom was not really equipped for that job. So my grandmother and grandfather raised me. And then at the end of my grandmother's life, she was declining and needed some care. So I really brought her into my life and managed uh, and um, supported her during the last decade of her life. She did not live in my house, but she lived a few blocks away and I was intimately involved. And so when she passed away after seven years of me really getting to take care of her, that was, you know, those were like the bookends of my life, you know, and th- and that was my real grief experience that I tried to deal with by myself for nine months mm. was really at the end of my rope when I discovered actually the grief recovery method. And it was you know, life-changing in a number of ways, but but really incredibly powerful to cure something that I had thought was uncurable and only going to continue to get worse over nine months and beyond. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. And I'll jump in now. This is Rachel. And I had experiences with loss as a teenager. I My father got sick when I, he was, when I was 13 and he passed away when I was 16. Uh, and then when I had just... Um, had two small kids and was working full-time. I just started a new job. My husband and I had just bought a new home. My mother got sick and passed away pretty suddenly. And her death led me to be in charge of taking care of my uncle, her brother, who was in latter stages of Parkinson's. So now I was settling my parents' estate and all of the ins and outs that come with that and then taking care of an aging loved one. Um, which he eventually passed away. And I was in tandem an executor two times over while Mm -hmm. trying to raise a family, uh, work full time and, you know, keep up with the laundry. And it was just completely overwhelming and really hamstrung my grief process. I did not have the space, the time, the ability, the brain space to grieve because I was so inundated with tasks of of death 
uh, the business of death and the business of aging. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, was, was my different experience. Susan. So my, I had um, a chaotic growing up as well. And yeah, and the, the losses that I had, I was the one who would put on the brave face and keep going. And I remember my sister would cry and then she'd be done. And five years later, I'm still having issues with things. And I didn't learn how to understand my feelings or even feel them. And so when my father died, probably 20 years ago, um, I grieved him when he, I I knew he was going to get better. And, And I did start feeling feelings a little bit better, but my mom passed away in January, um, a year, year and a half ago. And I remember, um, going, being in denial when we saw that she wasn't going to live. And I remember, you know, just kind of being okay with denial. Okay. I want to be in denial about this. And then when she, I saw she might not get better. And Mm -hmm. and then I really was able to feel the feelings of it so that when she did pass, um, I was able to be present with my brothers and sisters and feel all of her and feel the feelings. But what I didn't expect was I didn't know how to not do life because I'd always just kept going on. Mm -hmm. And so my son and month later, but she died in January 3rd and February 4th, my son was in a car accident, a bad car accident. He was a passenger and broke his hip and was in the hospital and, you know, for months of rehabilitation. And I remember someone asking me, are like, how are you doing? I go, I don't think I'm okay. Like, it was just that first time of not feeling okay. And I remember not knowing what to do with that because I'd always just push through. So I'm actually still kind of, it's kind of creating a new normal mm-hmm. and a healthier one that can go ebb and flow because I saw addictive patterns trying to keep moving through. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. For me, my um, <clears throat> my parents divorced in their 60s when I was fully grown, married with children. And that was my first experience with grief I didn't know how to really process. Like it, it was a complicated grief because it was not a happy marriage. So her children were like, oh, finally, you know, <laughs> but it was nonetheless uh, a challenge. And then within a year, uh, within a year and a half, I was divorced because it just upended my life and still didn't know how to deal with that grief. Um, I can look back now and say, oh, you know, these are the things that were happening because I was grieving, but I had no context for how to, for what to expect and what I was actually going through. Um, and then six years ago from, you know, from this complicated parental relationship, my father passed um, the very week I was visiting my mother, I mean, we knew he was passing. So I went to visit her the very week she was diagnosed with her third round of breast cancer. And, um, so I helped her through that week funeral and she passed in 2019. So four years ago, within two years, um, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary with the grief process. It, it wasn't until my father died with this complicated, um, challenging relationship. And then yet there was love, you know, all that mixed bag um, that I began to understand my prior grief and then yet still beginning to pre-grieve what was happening with my mother. I remember asking my therapist, I don't know if I'm just like, pre-grieving or just coping with what is. And she's like, they don't even try to distinguish that. It just, it just all is. I don't know about you all, but for me, I, I had no clue what grief was really like. Like I didn't understand the breadth of its impact on every area of my life until several experiences like, oh, that's why I was doing those things <laughs> because it was, I just didn't know how to cope with the grief. From your grief experience, what was your experience socially, societally, as you were attempting to make sense of your experience and process it? Did you have support? And 
if you didn't have support, what it what did it look like? I know Rachel, you said you and all several of you were saying just trying to you just had to keep going. You couldn't slow down. Did you have support? And if so, what did it look like? And if you didn't have support, what did that look like? Yeah, I'll jump into that. Um, I had very little support. Um, I'm, I'm still one of the only one in my friend group who've lost their parents, you know, losing my parents so young. I'm the first one to go through this really. And Same. so, yeah, no one really knew what I was going through or what that looked like. Uh, the word probate was a foreign word to them. And I had also just started a new job. I'd literally mm. started a new job the week my mom was, was diagnosed and she passed away a couple of weeks later. I had um, no time off in the first 90 days. I was on sort of this probationary period and my mom was diagnosed, died, was, you know, had major surgery and all that those first 90 days. And I ended up having to leave that job after eight months to be able to take care of the enormous amount of tasks and logistics and to in order to to manage that. So not only are you, you know, inundated with those unfortunate circumstances, um, but then there was you know really no one who really knew um, the the hole I was in, for lack of better words. Um, so not only from a supportive a, a friend group, but in society, you know, we get that. Oh, tell, let us know what you need, and then it's a week later, you never hear from them again. And you know, and then especially in the workplace, it's you know, what, what do we do? There's little to no support. And then it's, you know, we'll get back to work. Uh, here's your three days of bereavement leave, have a nice day, come back. So, um, which can make it extremely difficult for anybody and everybody. Yeah. Come back and act like nothing happened. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in the grief recovery world, we have a term for that. And I definitely experienced that too. We call that Academy Award recovery because (laughs) We know that, that the, yeah, we all, and, and when I say that, we high-performing women know what that means, because A, we put on that face a lot of the times, but particularly when we're grieving, we know that people don't expect us to to drop our performance. People want to see our smiling face if that's what they're used to seeing. So, um, and, and if we're used to being really uh, large and in charge ourselves, we don't want to lose that self-concept, right? So we, again try to barrel through it and put on that Academy Award winning performance that mm-hmm. everything's fine or it will be fine. But I think we've all echoed that we can carry that for some length of time and then it starts crumbling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was my experience, even though I would say that I had a lot of support, supportive husbands, supportive friends, even if they didn't understand exactly what I was going through. I was early in my group too, because I lost my grandmother, not my mother. Right. So that was a good 10 to 15 years before my peer group. Um, I had a therapist. I had been through lots of other therapy. I thought my head was all screwed on straight. But grief is a different animal and we don't grow up knowing how to deal with it and nobody talks about it, right? So you can have all the traditional support structures and still feel kind of lost and alone. And it's almost like every person has to do their own research to figure out how to deal with this new kind of challenge when grief shows up. And that's unfortunate. We we need to spread the word about what some of the great tools are. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Rachel. I, um, I don't, uh, some of my closest friends have not even dealt with the loss of their parents and it's not something you can even, you can even explain. They're just are with, with no, the, it's a club nobody wants to belong to. Sorry, but exactly. yeah, yeah. Susan, Amy, you want to jump in? Yeah, I um, this with my father, I didn't have support. I had a little bit of support, but I didn't know how to actually access it. And even with my family, my my family, um, brothers and sisters, I'm one of four. And this with my mom. She had done a lot of her own inner work, so she was so much easier to be with. And our family and she was out of town. So we were all like together and it was beautiful. It was really cool to see us all as adults and getting along and hearing stories and things that we didn't know. So I've, I've done it without, and I've done it with, and it's, it can be a beautiful time together, just honoring her. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but, you know, I didn't have to do the, all the, 
for my, my brother was executor. So like, but that I can't even imagine that because it was hard doing the funeral, like preparing all of that. You're like in grief and you're having to prepare like stuff. I'm like, and a lot of my stuff came up about being over responsible, taking on so much, not being able to be prepared. And uh, a lot of that came up and that was really cool to work through that with my brothers and sisters being more aware than just being a victim of it. So that was my experience and it was really good. So. I mean, my experience was in the early nineties, that's when my brother passed and my dad in the mid nineties. So therapy was not a thing, was not anything that was talked about or offered, not for me, not for my mother. Um, I also had an older brother, you know, thankfully I had him, but he lived in another state. And so it wasn't, I didn't realize that the effect it had had on me because it was just kind of put away until later on in life when, you know, I had my own children and at that point was trying to, you know, work on myself and then recognizing how much it did affect losing my brother at 17. Mm. And then also as I'm aging, I'm just shy of three to four years of being the same age my mother was when my father passed. And that really brings it up for recognizing the space that she was in, how young she was, and the lack, I would say, of support that she had. Um, So it is, I'm so grateful that there's resources available now for people because I didn't have any of that. And because my brother's was a tragic death and my dad's was, he was very young. It was almost like people just didn't want to talk about it, right? Mm. Like, let's just pretend like that all is well. Let's not bring that up. And everyone in the grief space knows that when people pass, the most beautiful thing you can do is say the name of the person to someone that's living to feel like they're honored and remembered and recognized. And that did not happen in our case. I remember when my my father was was literally on his deathbed um, and after he passed, I was staying with my mother, who was not his biggest fan. So I was hearing her perspective over here and all of her stories and all of her stuff. And thankfully, I did have I had one one online friend whose mother had passed within the last three or four years. And she was she was a lifeline to me. And it, it gave me enough enough perspective to go back to my mother and go, I'm having a different per- experience than you are. I need to have the permission to have something different than what your experience is. And there were, there were questions around the funeral. I'm like, and um, because they were divorced, he had another partner. And I said, this, this is my choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and stand up for my father. And, you know, (laughs) things you never thought you were going to have to do in life, you know, when you're faced with those circumstances. I want to uh, turn now to, um, well, I have a couple of things going on in my head. Um, let's turn now to things that that happen when you're grieving um, that to help, kind of help people understand what, you know, be a detective in their own life and have some self-awareness. Jenny, I wanted to start with you because you listed some things on your website. One of the what are some of the symptoms you've noticed in your clients impacted by grief? That's such a great question because I think people assume that the grief is only in the emotional realm. And that's true. But all of us on this call can also attest that it impacts us physically. Like you're so tired all the time, or maybe it's it's interrupted your sleep or your eating, right, Susan? Either under eating or overeating. And I think one of the things that's diabolical about grief is that everyone can have different symptoms, right? So it's you you can't know what to expect. In fact, the same person might have different symptoms in different grief experiences. But mm-hmm. the long the long story short is that grief really impacts 
emotional, physical, mental, intellectual. I mean, one of the things I get to do is to speak to businesses and uh, individual professionals and let them know that, you know, your cognitive ability on the job is going to be impacted as well. You're probably not making decisions as quickly or as well as you used to. You're probably not cranking through those stacks on your desk as fast as you used to, uh, in addition to all the, you know, other things that might happen like withdrawal or things like that. So I don't want to um, list everything, but let's just say it, it, it impacts us in every category. And and again, it would be helpful for people to know that both when things start happening to them and when they observe or are caring for other people that are in grief, just to understand that any anything and everything can be impacted and it's going to be unique to in each individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan, what do you see in the, in the, I mean, it impacts our entire body, but how do you see it impacting people's health? Well, like we've been talking about in terms of not feeling our feelings and not even knowing what to do with them, not even like Amy didn't even get like, it wasn't even talked about, like, how confusing is that? Like, and so I know for me, early on would always just want to avoid, like, it hurts so badly that I would, you know, use food. That was mine, but people do use work or, you know, I've used, now I, now I learned I use work too, but um, to make the feelings go. So we wouldn't have to feel those feelings and just trying to avoid them. And unless we do learn how to feel them without the story around them, the actual sensation of the feeling in our body and give ourselves space to, uh, kind of feel the feeling and feel our love for the person who's passed and not the story about that we'll never see them again. Cause the brain doesn't get that. Like the brain's Mm -hmm. like, we'll never see them again. And we could go there or we could go around the loss or we can go around. um, I know my sister with my mom, you know, she kind of, she has a blended family and, and, and she's kind of sometimes in conflict, not knowing what to do. And she says, I miss mom. Like mom would always tell me I'm doing okay. You know, and she missed that, but I love that she was able to express exactly what that was that she missed. Um, and so understanding that that's what the brain's doing. The brain's trying to, um, where is this person in space and time and trying to make sense of it? And yet uncoupling that with feeling them and that the feeling's okay. It's just trying to find them. Hmm. is like is is the the activation is like the motivation um it's the same drive you're seeking like if water is outside your reach you just keep wanting that so there's two different there's different mechanisms one's survival and then one's the actual feeling and being the human being and Hmm. understanding that is what has helped me and some of my clients Amy, how does it affect the way we deal with money? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Just a small question. (laughs) Right. Um, It's such a financially tender time. And so I honor and I recognize that when I'm working with clients. Because I also know that it feels very, like it just doesn't matter. They're gone, right? And people don't want to necessarily deal with thinking about money because it seems so insignificant compared to the Mm -hmm. life lost. So there is that piece of it. There's also the piece of recognizing that oftentimes the partner that remains or who I'm working with, they weren't prepared financially to understand their accounts, maybe their passwords and all of that. So there's a lot of intentional handholding again, because it's a tender time trying to help people get through the process in the most pain-free way that they can. Um, So there's so many different aspects of money is so important yet feels so insignificant in compared to the loss. And there's the confusion that can often happen, um, whether if you're the you know, party that doesn't have the understanding. And then there's also those folks that deal with grief and the busy, get it done now, 
you know, must complete all the tasks. And so it's just being able to morph in the situations to help people and recognize, like everyone here has said, it's going to look different for every person and honoring that and recognizing there's no wrong way to do this. We just support them in how they're processing. Yeah, I'd love to add on to that because there's so much unpacked with the financial aspect. And I think that we sort of, we brush it off as if we shouldn't be price checking during during a funeral. But, you know, with the average cost of a funeral, that's, you know, seven to $12,000, that's a lot of money to just all of a sudden have to, to come up with. And when you're grieving and you're in that brain fog, you're in that decision paralysis. Uh, you don't know, like uh, Amy said, what accounts are out there, how to access those, the unlock code to their phone. And then you're just expected to go in and drop, you know, seven to $12,000 without a thought to it. And that's can be extremely significant, mm-hmm. um, you know, around that. And, you know, why, why can't we look at, you know, other ways to help people, you know, during that time and say, okay, here's some other alternatives. So you're not dropping you know, that, that amount, you know, of, of money. And here's some, some different options, uh, you know, for that. And people are, you know, they have several different studies or several different surveys out there that estimate, you know, it takes several hundred hours to administer an estate, to settle an estate of, of effort, of time by an executor, an administrator, a trustee, a surviving loved one. That is so extremely unfair to expect that that person to be in charge of that amount of decisions financially, emotionally, um, during that time. Uh, when they are in that space, they are in that that brain fog and decision paralysis. Um, and those can have very real world implications. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things that's very close to me and why I created my business around that. Uh, because I see so many of those pain points over and over and over again. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier, can I add one more thing uh, that stems from financial, but really spreads to a lot of other things? So in, in again, in the grief recovery world, we talk about something called short-term energy relieving behaviors. And they're basically the ways we, uh, the things we do to soothe ourselves when we're in grief or distress. And let's not forget that some people might act out financially that way, right? Like retail therapy. Does that ring a bell for anybody? That's one of my go-tos. Gambling for some people. Susan knows for other people it's food or alcohol. Again, either restricting or binging. And so we need to remember the behaviors that people are doing because I think what we get caught up in is the problem happens when you think that those behaviors that are providing relief in the short term are your long-term solution. Mm. We all know someone who's gambling long-term and that's the only way they can soothe their grief. That's going to bring up serious problems in the financial realm. Just like someone who's acting out sexually in the long-term, that's going to be a problem. Just like someone who's acting out with food and acting out is too judgmental of a word. That I'm, What I really mean to say is they're doing these things because it's the best we know how to do until we get some help or some other alternatives. These are the things that make us feel better. But I try to make people aware that that's not your long-term solution. And if you use it that way, you're going to run into bigger problems beyond the loss that you're experiencing right now. Yeah, which leads us to finding healthier ways to cope and getting the support you need. Um, Jenny, speak to what, how, how you shift, how you help them shift their behavior into ways that are maybe more self-loving or compassionate. Yeah. Well, and and I'll tell you that when I first introduced that particular concept to my clients, I'd be sure to say, this is not about judgment. This is not about telling you to stop biting your nails or shopping or whatever it is you're doing to make you feel better. It's just to bring it to your awareness, right? Because many of us go into those patterns that we've used, you know, since we were a baby soothing ourselves. That's certainly where my food issues and maybe retail issues started. Um, so yeah, the 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 long-term cure is to find 
a kind of support or a program or an approach that works to help you really process the emotions. I think we've all heard, you know, you have to live through those emotions in order to make them dissipate and go away. The danger is when we try to bury them under the food or the shopping and or the work and pretend they don't exist. So um, again, at the Grief Recovery Institute, we say, our goal is to help as many grievers as possible as quickly as possible. So I'm deputizing all of you ladies. If you know people that are grieving, let them know that the grief recovery method is one op option. I think it's the most effective option as, as someone who's experienced a lot of grief and tried a lot of different things. Um, and there are others out there. There's programs like Grief Share, um, where you can get some support at a church you attend or there, there are therapists, I would say that be sure to choose a therapist who is experienced and educated about grief in particular, because there are different things we need to do about grief than other kind of mental health issues that you might be seeing a therapist for. So, um, but the idea is in, in our program, we have a way of allowing people to experience those emotions in a very small bite-sized way and a very iterative way. Um, it takes at least six weeks to go through my program, one hour a week at a time. Uh, I actually have my people go through it several times with me. But again, we're just, we're, here's another analogy I like to say. It's not like they're going on the Maury Povich show and getting all spun up. And then we send you to lunch with a gift card and we hope you're okay after that, right? We've all heard those news stories about the people that are really traumatized by that kind of intervention, right? Where they're bringing up all the feelings and then sending you away in an unhealthy state. So we help people manage through it in a safe space, ideally with a coach or some other safe partner that can encourage you and check in with you and make sure you're okay. So there, there is a way to experience those emotions, let them out of your system. And then you have, gosh, so much more emotional and physical bandwidth to get back to all the things you care about in life. It's really great. Thank you. Rachel, talk a little bit about your work, what you find. What do families, when they're experiencing grief, you start working with them, what's, what surprises them? Mm, like yeah. the things that come up that they didn't expect. Yeah. Well, first and foremost is, you know, if they do have to go to the probate process, how long, how expensive, how laborious it is. So that's, you know, that's a lot. How many, um, how in the dark, they were about uh, accounts, um, assets, liabilities. Did the house have a mortgage? Did it not? Um, so that, and then, you know, just where to start, what's the sequence, the protocol, what should I be worrying about right now? And what can we sort of kick the can down the road on? Um, so, you know, that's how I work with clients is to sort of prioritize, streamline, and triage tasks to say, okay, let's not worry about that right now. This is, we're in phase one, we'll get to phase two, phase three, phase four. And then having to someone to tell them that I think is so extremely helpful. I would have paid anything for that when, when I lost my, you know, my mom. Um, so yeah, that's very surprising. Um, what to do with their loved one's stuff. Mm. You know, they've been told for years that that Hummel figurine collection is priceless. And they're going to make lots of money on it and all those antiques and gold coins. And I, I like to say, or I hate to say this, but I burst bubbles a lot about, you know, big brown furniture and China and, and sterling silver. Uh, so, you know, they're just, they can be so just completely overwhelmed by, oh my goodness, it's coming from every side of, of what to do with everything uh, instead of like someone's affairs. Yeah. Yeah, that that reminds me of of this um, when my when both my parents were gone, it was suddenly like a a cultural paradigm just crumbled, and what you're left with is no parents and not the way they raised you, except for whatever you internalized, and then you're left with all this stuff. Yeah, that just and you're also left with sort of this link in the legacy chain that has now been broken, you know, of, of stories of how are we related to great aunt Myrtle? And, you know, yeah. where do we get that recipe for the rolls that we make every Thanksgiving? And if those haven't been preserved, safe guarded, 
um, intentionally beforehand, that's another grieving process Mm -hmm. of just losing your sort of North star with, with those aspects. So it's not just financial. It's not just, you know, um, exchange value. It's not just, you know, what does the house have a mortgage and what to do with the Hummel figurine collection, but, you know, just sort of the essence of you and your family and, Mm -hmm. um, those, those roots there. And it just can be extremely unsettling. It, it, It definitely was for me. It was very disorienting. Um, I, uh, one of the metaphors I use is like when is grief is like a, um, you're put on a train and you don't know where it's going and you're not allowed off. Here you are, you're on this train forever now. <laughs> and, and so you look around for people who are also on the train who get it. I like to use the dumpster fire analogy, you know, that's just my, one of my favorite analogies I'm kidding, but you know, then you're left with this flaming dumpster fire of what to do in your grief and you're looking for a fire extinguisher. You don't, you know, you can't fight and you're trying to just fan the flames or, or, or push them down as, as much as you can. But, but yeah. yes, so many different aspects of that. Mm-hmm. Arlia, I want to jump in and I want to offer a bit of hope. I don't think we have to stay on the train forever. There are things we can do to resolve your grief. And to me, that's one of the myths about grief is that it never goes away. I'm not here to tell someone it has to go away if they want to cling to it. But for those who don't want to live with it forever, I want to let you know there are effective ways to get over your grief. And that doesn't mean we have to give up the memories that we treasure or the relationship with the person, even if they're physically gone. I think this is... This is the challenge. Our our culture has taken the word closure and we've created a word picture of closure that is this big wooden door and you slam it closed and you turn away in a huff and you never go back there. Well, that's why people don't want to get rid of their grief, right? Like mom is behind that door. Grammy is behind that door. Important lessons that I learned from that heartbreaker behind that door. So I think that's what makes people think, okay, now I just have to live in this purgatory for the rest of my life. And, and I'm just here to tell you that doesn't have to be the case. The, off, the program that I offer, and I'm sure there are others that can do this too, uh, we offer completion, which is more like a glass revolving door. There's great stuff in that building. I can go through in and out that revolving door anytime I want to, to revisit those treasured memories, to pull out those lessons learned without getting stuck in grief. That's mm-hmm. my hope for people. That's freedom. And that's what lets us, you know, we all have more work to do on this earth, I believe. And that's what gives us the energy and the and the freedom and the motivation to do that. So I want to offer that word of hope for people. Yeah, I appreciate that because you use the word cure and grief and that I, I was curious about that. So I, I appreciate that, that picture of, of being able to resolve the grief and, and not be disconnected from the relationship or the memories or the, the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to offer too, as it relates to finances, that part of what I like to do for clients is to obviously hold space in that tender moment when grief is fresh. But I also encourage them to think about their life beyond that. And let's pause for a moment, skip over in our minds this difficult time, and let's design the life of your dreams, a life that you're looking forward to. Let's pause because there's going to be some hard steps in here, financial steps, emotional steps, and otherwise. Let's put a pause on that. Let's recognize that that's where we are, but that's not where we're going to stay. And then let's create a financial plan for the life you are going to have after your grieving period is, I won't say over, but is winding down to a completion and being able to use finances to create that life of joy, to create that purpose for your future. And like Jenny said, I do believe there is a a circle of completion. And I actually wrote down glass revolving door because I just love that idea of an analogy for so many things in life, right? For all the difficult things we'd like to slam the door on, it is a glass revolving door. And sometimes we need to dip back in for a moment to remember a lesson and then come back out. 
And that is kind of how I will look at, you know, the financial period. There is a life of your dreams beyond your grief. And if you are fortunate enough to have finances that someone has left you from a generational wealth perspective, or even if not, let's design what your life is going to look like and how you're going to get there past this period, whether you have or don't have assets to start with. And so I think it's really important to honor the time and to encourage folks to see past that. And from my perspective and what I do, it's financially. Um, but again, I just wanted to kind of share that anecdote. Thank you so much. Susan, when it comes to, to people grieving <clears throat> and dealing with their health issues, how do you work with them? What, well, what? I love what um, I've loved what all of y'all are saying because it's so um, kind of in alignment with what I'm with. I love like you know, Jenny understands that nature of under, of of feeling those feelings. And then, um, Amy, I really love what you said, because it's almost like you're creating something new. And I remember like out of birthing something. And I remember when I would go to funerals and, you know, people's houses after someone had passed, there was always a baby. And I just, I always noted that new life and it was just kind of a life cycle. So just honoring that, that there is, there, there is an expectation of death. Like there's nobody who doesn't die. There's nobody that doesn't suffer in some way on this earth. That is our humanity. So for me, it's about um, embracing our humanity and not looking for us to be this perfect, um, what did you say? You know, the, the Academy Award griever, yeah. that like how we do it perfectly. And I think we're not comfortable with our feelings and learning to be messy is okay. Like messy is part of creating something new. Messy is part of, you know, living, going in and out of that door. Um, God, messy is part of the admin of it. Oh. I mean, I can't, you know, and then, and that's okay. It's, it's just okay to be messy. It's like, that is your experience and not to try and fix it. Like no one's broken because you're sad or the depth of your sadness. And I think what I encourage people is to feel the depth of their sadness without having it make some mean something about themselves. Yeah. I like that ability to feel that is what can help us the most. Yeah. I like what you said earlier, because it's part of the practices that I, that I do and teach. And that is um, disconnecting the story from the feelings, because when you're, when you allow those feelings to be and give yourself the grace and compassion to have them and are able to at least maybe temporarily disconnect them from the story and all the, the thought, the, the thoughts, then they move more quickly and uh, don't get stuck and create more suffering. They actually dissipate in about 90 seconds, the sensation of anger or sadness. If you sit with it, not go up here, it'll dissipate. Here is just a cognitive loop that just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. But and in, in feeling that, yeah. So I I I I say um an analogy is like taking out a splinter, how badly it hurts, like to get the whole thing out. But I remember my son, you know, went to camp, he comes home from camp and he didn't get the whole thing out because it hurt too much. So he left it in and, you know, of course, go to, you know, it gets infected. Yeah. And that's what we do if we don't kind of touch, you know, be brave. It's hard to touch those emotions. But I love what Jenny said, do it at small little periods of time. So it's manageable and being surrounded by support is really cool. So, yeah. I think a splinter is a really good analogy for what we've been talking about, how if you let it sit there and fester, but there are, there are things you can do in the short term and you can go back and fix it in the long term. But yeah, that's a really good word picture. For it might be a little hard experience. to find in the moment, but it's worth digging for. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, you want to share a little bit more about, about your work and, and how you support people through their process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I created what I felt were services that I needed um, when I was going through you know, the process of settling my parents and my uncle's estates that didn't exist out there. And I was beating my head against the wall. Why doesn't this exist? 
And so I've sort of created this customized project management um, support that walks clients one-on-one, one-size-fits-one support um, to help them triage, manage, um, and streamline. I know I've said tasks about 300 times in this podcast, but we're going to say it again. Um, they're there. They're there. They're, they're unavoidable. Um, yeah. So helping them, like I said, to really identify, like if, if I had a magic wand, what, what are the three things that I could take away from you right now? Um, let's come up with a customized roadmap to um, create steps and phases. And then also me um, exposing possible knowledge gaps or blind spots that they haven't thought about um, to help really comprehensively, holistically um, settle a loved one's affairs. And that can look from, you know, reaching out to Xfinity and uh, closing down that account or overseeing an entire estate clean out um, to, um, you know, faxing, mailing, all those death certificates that everybody wants the the original to uh, of, you know, and sending those off and wallpapering the world with those, those death certificates, as I like to, to sometimes say. Um, so really just leaning into that red tape and that bureaucracy that is so frustrating uh, when you when you lose a loved one. Some that sometimes that takes in the form of me calling and yelling at a company so that they don't have to do that and they don't have to go through that trauma of my loved one died and this is why I'm calling and no mm-hmm. he or she can't get on the phone. So sometimes it's saving them from that from that step. So it can be as simple and as complex. And my typical engagement is a six-month engagement that I work with clients. Um, as, as I said, it takes it takes a lot longer than, than people anticipate. But I, of course, think that this is a service that everybody needs. They just don't know they need. And I'm here to shout from the rooftops that we're here, that after-loss professionals are here, and we're here to help you. Death is hard enough. We shouldn't make it harder um, than it already is. Absolutely. All right, ladies, as we wind down, I'd love to kind of get a nugget of wisdom, maybe something you you recognize people who are grieving need to hear, or maybe you wish you had heard when you were in the midst of deep grief. And then if you've got a favorite resource that you can pass along a book or something, feel free to do that as well. Go ahead, Jenny. Okay, well, I'm going to piggyback on a conversation we just had a minute ago, and I'm going to you use a pithy saying that says, forget about being strong. How about being human? Oh, you know, Susan, one thing you said, a couple of things you said struck me. Number one, we know everyone's going to die. Why do we all pretend that it's so foreign and any of us are going to either not experience it ourselves or in our loved ones? And number two, we all know we're human, but again, we're not embracing everything it means to be human, which is to allow ourselves to, to feel all the messy, conflicting emotions that go along with being human. And so I encourage people um, to be be brave to try that. I know it's hard and scary. Um, and the resource that I will list is uh, griefrecoverymethod.com. You can go there to find out about the program that I'm so enthusiastic about and to find a directory of people like myself that are certified to help you implement it. And I promise it won't kill you. You'll come out stronger and happier and better on the other side. There is hope for the future. Beautiful. I'll say, and I I don't mean to be quip at all about this, but when I say this too shall pass, what I mean by that is if you think about all the beautiful moments in your life, they're as fleeting as the hard moments in your life. So You get to experience the ups and the downs, and grief is one of the worst places to be. But I can, having experienced grief and having experienced very high highs in life, I can confirm, as we all can and everyone knows, we just might need the reminder that this too shall pass. So the hard moments go away, the good moments come, the good moments go away, and the hard ones come. But just know that it won't feel this way forever. And as far as resources go, I mean, of course, 
I would recommend someone like Jenny or someone like Rachel to clients that are in a process that are struggling, right? Reach out. There are resources. Back in the 90s, there didn't feel like resources. And nowadays, they're at your fingertips. And I often tell people, you know, when you don't feel good, you go to the doctor. If your car's not working, you go to the mechanic. People struggle with asking for help around their money. And I think grief is probably another one where people feel like it's something they should know how to do. And yet there's not really a handbook, but you can find ways to ease the quote suffering or ease that emotional feeling with using your resources wisely, like contacting a Ginny or a Rachel. So there actually is a handbook. It's called the Grief Recovery (laughs) Handbook. There you go. Leave it to Jenny to know. Of course. course. Um, Yeah. I mean, and just to piggyback on that, you do not have to do this alone. You can outsource some of this stuff by leveraging after loss professionals, you know, like me. Hopefully, if you're lucky, you're only going to have to settle a loved one's affairs maybe once in your life. Why reinvent the wheel? Why try to streamline and, and, and create all these processes yourself? Lean into someone, to a profession that has, um, does this day in and day out. Uh, you, Like I said, you do not have to do this alone. You don't have to put your head down and, and take care of everything that either your loved ones failed to, to take care of while they were alive, or you just don't know what to do with those tasks. Um, as far as a great resource, I have a great uh, comprehensive after loss checklist uh, on my website that you can get for free at blackdressconsultants.com. And also I love the local nonprofit lovenotlost.org. And they are a great nonprofit that they provide free photography sessions for anyone, mm-hmm. any family facing a terminal illness, as well as grief support and tools to really revolutionize the way we live and deal with grief. Beautiful. Thank you. So I um, love all these resources that I now have for people. So thank you guys. It's been amazing to be on this panel. And I think what I've learned from um, my experiences is to have so much more compassion for others that I didn't have before. And like, you know, I think Rachel said, you know, it's part of a club that you didn't wish, you know, you didn't want to be in, but having that compassion and I remember losing when I lost my mom, I heard so many stories about other moms. Like I got to know so many moms on, you know, in that I wouldn't have known had I not lost my mom. So um, I love being able to understand people in a different way that I didn't before. And um, and I love having now y'all as support tools for my, you know, people I know going through it because it's beautiful. Thank you, Susan. Oh, I don't, I, I love everything y'all have said. I don't have a particular, particular piece of advice. I, I, I think it would be that there is always help. There's always help to remember you are never alone, even when it feels like it. There's always some way to find help. Uh, uh, thank you, especially now. And we, we have so many more resources at our fingertips. I know in the midst of my grief, I started following all the all the accounts I can find on Instagram, right? With all those great memes to support me at any time when I needed it. And there are two of them. Well, there's one of them. It's Megan Devine. Her account is Refuge in Grief, but her book is It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And um, I I love that book. It's very helpful. Um, but because of my own experiences, I've I've rolled in grief counseling to my to my work. Um, can really help support and um, walk with someone through that process when they need it. Ladies, any final parting thoughts before we, before we go? We feel good. Thank you so much for your presence, um, your expertise, your vulnerability, and the good work you're doing in the world. I am grateful. And that's going to do it for us today. Please, um, Feel free to check out the show notes. I will have their full bios, all their contact information, their websites, all the resources we've listed so that you can use them yourself and pass them along to people you know who are grieving. 
um, I'll just remind you to, you know, be compassionate with yourself and with the people in your life who may be grieving. And I don't remember who said it. What's that quote? Um, be kind because you never know what somebody else is, what, what battle they're fighting. So that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been the Women's Sanctuary, and we'll see you here again next time. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.